Please stand for the reading of God's word from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning again and welcome. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. If you're just visiting with us, thanks for being here with us uh, this morning. Glad to have you. If you are one of our longtime folks, it's great to see you again this morning. Uh, We are continuing in a series that we have been in in the early part of the book of Ephesians, uh, calling it Grace and Peace, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, which is in modern-day Western Turkey, as a reminder to them about the heart of the Christian faith, uh, that they might press on in that in their daily lives. And Paul's reminder about the heart of the Christian faith boils down to those two things, grace and peace, and those are what we have started to explore in this series, primarily grace. And my prayer is certainly that through this, we would experience more of both for ourselves and that we would share more of both with those around us. Now, particularly today, because we're going to see how grace is the only thing that actually leads to real life. And apart from grace, as the passage just says, we are actually in a pretty bad spot. Uh, We said actually in previous weeks that that grace, thankfully, is not something that we have to go out and find, but something that comes and finds us. That it's not something we use our strength, our intellect, our personality in order to get, but it's something that you just open your hands to receive like a gift. And this week, Paul explains a little bit more of what it looks like for grace to come and find us. We're going to dig into this a bit more. We're not going to get to spend too much time in the back part of this passage, verses 8 through 10. We'll have to save more of that for another time. We're going to focus more on the front half. As Paul explains that when grace finds us, it finds us dead. But it doesn't leave us there. It leads us somewhere else. And so I want to look at what Paul has to say about about how God finds us with his grace through looking at four things, Uh, the condition that grace finds us in, how deceptive that condition is, what grace does for us in that very condition, and how it does that. So what, what condition does grace find us in? Why that condition is so deceptive to us 
what grace does for us in that and how it does it. Now, before you panic, these are not four equally long segments or four segments even longer than a normal sermon. This is a regular sermon divided into four parts. Think of it as a smaller meal with small plates. This is more like tapas, okay? So this will be accessible to you. Uh, before we get into this, let's pray, though. Would you bow your heads with me? Yeah, we do bring ourselves before you now, uh, opening our hearts to your word that you have opened for us. We thank you that you have spoken and we get to hear, but we pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, the dead cannot hear unless you give them ears to hear. And your word tells us that that apart from you, apart from you being gracious, it is impossible for us to hear you. But all things are possible with you. And so I pray in whatever ways that we feel deadened in our hearts this morning, whether that's out of fear, loneliness, anger, bitterness, pride, just hurt, that you would open our ears to hear and that we might hear a word from you about your grace, about how you come to find us, about what you think about us and what we mean to you. In your name we pray, amen. Now, if you still have your Bibles open from the Scripture passage, we're going to go back through uh, the verses a little bit here together, and we're going to start in the condition that grace finds us in. That's where Paul starts out here, Uh, and this passage is full of good news and bad news. Paul gives us the bad news first. Some of you might like to hear the good news first. Paul starts with the bad, and he is pretty blunt about it. Now, Paul does not hide some of what the truth is to spare our feelings. It seems he thinks it's important to be completely honest, to be brutally honest even with us, to give it to us straight, as if that's the only way for us to make it through and to hear the facts and be changed, is to not pretend. To not pretend like it's not as bad as it actually is. And so Paul's not mincing words here. He comes right out of the gate. And what does he say? He says the condition that finds us, that grace finds us in, one that applies to actually all of humanity, as verse 3 says, is a condition that's pretty bad. Verse 1 says that condition is death. It says, verse 2, and you were dead. Stop. (laughs) You were dead. Not physically. Paul is not saying this is like the sixth sense and you don't know you're dead, but everyone else could see clearly that you were dead. No, he's saying you are spiritually dead. And similarly, we don't know it either. It's a condition that we are in and we don't understand. We'll get to that more. But that's where grace finds us from the perspective of God is spiritually dead. Not just a little dead, a lot dead. And that comes out in how Paul describes what this this deadness condition is, what it looks like. He says, we are not just dead and buried and slowly becoming a tree. He says, we are more like the living dead. Verse 1 says, we are walking around in this way of life of deadness. We're doing the things that continue to lead to more and more breakdown and decay in ourselves and others. That's what the sins and trespasses are. They're things that take you away from what is the source of life, God. And so in that peeling off from the source of life, you just continue to break down. So Paul is saying something like one of the popular movie genres of our time, your life is a zombie film. You are the walking dead. You are totally unaware even like a zombie, that you are dead. You're just pursuing this zombie life and not realizing that it's getting you to nothing. If anything, it's only making things worse for everyone else. 
But the deadness grace finds us in is not just that we are dead and don't know it, that we're so dead we don't even realize this thing that we think is life for us is not actually life, but he says we're surrounded by people, verse 2, who are in exactly the same condition. That's what it means when it says you are following the course of this world, the course of this age. It means everyone else is doing the same thing. So we are zombies living in a zombie world. It's the worst case scenario of any of the zombie movies out there. Everyone turned into a zombie. The planet is just done. There's no one left who hasn't been infected by the virus. Paul says it gets worse. I said there'd be good news. We're not there yet. We're in the bad news. You're not only surrounded by people who are unaware. You're not only the walking dead. Paul says we're actually also under the influence of forces that are keeping us dead and making us worse. This comes out in verse 2 when he talks about the prince of the power of the air. That's a way that Paul is using to describe Satan, our chief oppressor, a spiritual power that's definitely higher than us who at least apart from grace, it says, is at work in your life to keep you dead. He is an authority over death and pushing for deadness in you to keep you unaware of what's going on. And not only that, Paul says, not just an outside external force, but there's internal forces in you that are drawing you deeper and deeper into death. We're captive to our passions, he says, our desires, our, our impulses. We are chasing feelings. We're chasing approval, we're chasing control, we're chasing experience. We're going wherever they say to go and can't help ourselves but do it. You may not like some of the other things that Paul has to say here about how dead he says you are and what that deadness means, but it's hard to argue with the idea that you and I are chasing feelings and can't help but do that, that we're chasing goals, that we're chasing ambitions, and we see that when we start to run people over. When we start to get anxiety in ourselves because the things that we thought we would have are getting crushed. We get depression in ourselves because things that were deeply important to us are not being realized. And that's not to make light of any of those things, but that these are ways in which we are chasing feelings that go unfulfilled. We are kept pursuing things that ultimately end up empty. And so Paul says we're pictured as not just oppressed by someone outside of us. We are oppressed by ourselves. We are hurting ourselves. We're hating ourselves and others. And we're being influenced by forces outside of us to keep at it, to keep going. Everywhere we look around us shows us exactly the same things. This is the bad news, Paul says. If you haven't guessed already, it is a picture completely without hope. It's not a situation. Christianity is not trying to say that your life is a situation where you just need a little boost. You just need a little bit of help. You're pretty good already. You're not so bad. Or maybe you are bad, but really you just, you need a little bit of something. There's there's you and then there's the gap and you just need something to fill a little bit of that gap. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you are dead as dead can be and there is nothing in you that will help bridge that gap. That's where grace finds us, Scripture says. That's not where Paul leaves us, but it is the bad news that you have to come to grips with if you are going to be a Christian. There is no such thing as knowing Jesus without acknowledging the fact that Scripture says you were dead before he found you. This is where we have to go. These are the rough edges. At a certain point, Christianity will bump up against you and you will not like it, and that's because it's actually real. 
If you have a faith that never disagrees with you, if you have a faith that's always comfortable, you have something that you have invented because it's just a mirror image of you. You know that if you've been in a relationship with someone, they can disagree with you. They can push back because they are outside you. They are real and they are different from you. Christianity likewise is a representative. It's not a representative. It's, it's God coming down to us, being real and saying, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how these two have to interact. And there's difficulty in that, but there is also good news. We can't shave off the rough edges because if we do, we lose the thing itself and it just becomes a reflection of ourselves. We have to come to grips with the fact The scripture says, spiritually, you are dead. I'm not expecting you to get there today. My prayer is that you would get there if you aren't there now, or that you would rest in that in the way that grace is going to give you to rest in that. But this is somewhere that we have to go. We have to come to grips with this. But the reality is it's really, really hard to do that, even if you are a Christian. I want to talk secondly here about about how deceptive this condition of deadness is to us. Because you might be saying, I get it, but that's not me. I'm a decent person. I'm not the best, granted, but I am not the worst. I can tell you, I can give you names today of the people that are the worst. They do this long list of things. I do this other list, decent list of good things. Most of us probably think like that in some way, shape, or form, that we're not that bad. We look around and we think, that zombie is much worse off than me, right? They're missing a leg, I just have some cheek decay, it's not that bad, I'm okay. We're decent people, we're okay. But the truth is, that response, I'm a decent person and I do some good things, is actually a dead person's response. In saying that, you are much more like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense than you are someone who is actually alive and alert. Because rather than showing how far you are from being dead by pulling out your laundry list of things you do well, that just shows how truly dead you are in even bringing out that list. It's deceptive because it sounds like life, but it shows that you are dead. Why? Here's why it shows we're actually dead when we do that, why it's so deceptive and hard to get out of our system. Because when we do that, when we make that list of I'm a decent person because of these things in me, it turns you into something so much less than a human while holding you up as a good human. I'm going to say that again. When we bring out this laundry list of the things that I do well, the things that I don't do those things, I'm not as bad as that person. When I bring out that list that that would try to show me I'm such a good human or I'm a comparatively good human, it turns me into something so much less than a human in doing that. I'm going to explain this a little more. What's so deceptive about the I am a decent person because, I am a good person because, is that that mindset seems... Noble, seems virtuous, like, like it's mature enough to face the facts, like I'm being responsible, I'm being dutiful in the, in the way that I think the world ought to work, the way, the way the world seems like it should work. Good people deserve good things, bad people deserve bad things. It sounds right at some level. But what's actually going on is you are shrinking your life and the life of others into a list 
of qualities and deficiencies. You're turning your life and the lives of other people's into a balance sheet, into numbers on a page, weights on a scale. It's turning the complexity and depth of the entirety of who you are into a list of pros and cons, into good enough and not good enough, into something to be discarded or celebrated depending on what qualities or deficiencies you find there. To turn ourselves into numbers on a page and fight for which numbers are better is to have already given up being human. It's to already be dead and just be arguing over whose death is prettier. Because we are so much more than that. There's so much more to life than that. And yet we argue and fight and claw in ourselves for just that little bit of recognition, for just that little bit of my balance sheet is finally in the black instead of in the red. I finally made my way a little bit up. I've balanced my spiritual budget, so to speak. We are fighting for that and you are turning the entirety of who you are into a list. The great irony is that Western culture hates, at least right now, the idea that you are anything except an exceptional, unique, and valuable creature. And yet in turning ourselves into a list, we become a number on a page. We become a statistic. We become something small and quantifiable and simple. It's so deceptive because it is all around us. Everywhere we turn, we are shrinking life down into a reward for qualities that you have or a consequence for qualities you don't have. This is how the world around us operates, apart from grace. This is how all the ways of life, all the philosophies, all the religions of the world operate. They hold out this idea that if you turn your life into a positive instead of a negative balance sheet, you'll be blessed. Be a good number on the page is basically what all the religions boil down to. Be a good number instead of a bad number, but be a number. This feels natural to us in some ways, but it takes away our humanity. It turns the image of God with all its inherent value and dignity into a small, dusty thing that may or may not have any value at all. Do you really want to boil your life down to a list of actions you did or didn't take? Do you really want to be included or excluded based on a list? Isn't that what we have hated in genocide? Isn't that what we have hated in prejudice and segregation and so many other things? When you are boiled down to a list of your qualities, isn't that something that we hate? Why are we fighting to just be on one column or the other. This is what Paul is getting at. It is in us. It, is, it, it seems impossibly difficult to escape. It's insanely difficult to shake out of our soul even when we've been shown grace, and really it is impossible to see if we haven't received grace. 
There is this deadness in us. We keep fighting for the things that tear down our very soul, that take us from this dynamic, complex creature made in the image of God into something that is either a list of right or wrong and then dismissed or accepted. You and I know we want more of life than that. I want to be more of life. In, I want to have more of life in my life than just you were good or you were bad, and so I connect with you or I won't connect with you. You want to belong because you are because you were made with value, because you have dignity, not because you fit on this list or that list. The deadness is in us and in our world around us. But there is good news. Remember, I said there was good news? A lot of bad news so far. But there is good news, which is what grace does for us in that condition where we keep turning ourselves into something less than human. The good news is that even though this is our condition, even though we keep ourselves cycling through this condition as the hopelessly dead and not even aware of it, that that condition, as verses 4 through 7 point out, is precisely the condition that grace has come for. It is exactly the target that grace is aiming at. Grace is completely about finding the hopelessly dead, even the walking dead, and moving you out of death to life. Grace is about finding the dead and moving the dead from death to life. If you hear me say nothing else this morning, hear that, that grace is for death, for the dead. For the hopelessly dead, that is what grace is for. It's about God seeking out. Can you imagine God seeking out? Not avoiding, not coming into contact, oops, I touched them, but seeking out the spiritually dead. Purely, verses 4 through 5, out of his mercy and love. For us, not in a great condition, in that exact condition. And making me, we who were like that, alive in Jesus Christ. We'll get to more in that. Not because we earned it, verse 8, but just as a gift. Grace does all of that for the dead, Christians and non-Christians. For the dead. For those who have no quality to show for themselves. That's what death is. You have no qualities of life to show for yourself. For those who have no qualities of spiritual life in yourself, grace comes for you in that condition to move you from death to life. That means grace's focus, its entire purpose, its target audience is the hopelessly dead. the spiritually dead. Do you know that that's what grace is for? That the grace of Christianity is not for people who wear nice clothes and say nice things and do nice things. The hope of Christianity is that grace is for the dead. The dead smell. The dead do not look good. The dead do not dress themselves. Grace is for the dead, not for those who clean themselves up. Paul says we are all dead as dead can be, verse 4, but God. Yes, your condition, the bad news, but God, the good news, comes looking for you, not as the wounded, not as the injured, not as the healthy or even the sick, but as the dead, those who could not look back. That's who grace comes for. 
So if you feel that you are in some way in that condition, there's some part of your life that is dead or feels like it's dying, grace is precisely for you. It's not for you when you get yourself cleaned up, for you when you figure this thing out. It's precisely for you now, in that moment. Grace comes specifically to find the hopelessly dead and to bring them to life. So what's the death that you're facing? What's the death that you are afraid to face? Maybe even death itself. To that thing, grace says, it is for death that I have come. You wronged me. Grace came for that death. I failed you. Grace came for that death. I don't feel like I am who I should be. I'm not the child I should be. I'm not the sibling I should be. I'm not the friend I should be. I'm not the worker I should be. I'm not the parent I should be. I'm not who I should be. Grace came for that death. I feel like I don't have any more to give and I'm just a disappointment. I didn't work as hard as I thought I would. I didn't get as far as I thought I would. I'm not as far in my program. I'm not as far in my work. I'm not as far in my career. I'm not as far in my relationships. Grace came for that death. I've chased everything I can think of to find life, and I'm coming up empty, and guess what? I'm doing it again. Grace came for that death. I have no more money. I have no time. I have no talent. I have no energy. Grace came for that death. I have no character or goodness left to stand on. I am a mess. Grace came for that death. My life hasn't turned out like I wanted it to. Grace came for that death. I don't feel like my life is worth living. Grace came for that death. Death is why grace has come. Life is what it has come to bring to you. However dead you feel, grace came for the absolute rock bottom of hopeless cases to raise you up to life. Wherever you are in that, if you feel dead, you are not outside of the scope and the target of grace. You are right in the crosshairs. You are exactly what grace is looking for. You are exactly what it wants to raise up to life. How does grace do that? Well, briefly, Paul says it happens in verses 5 and 6 by us being made alive in Christ and being raised up with him from the dead. Two things that come out of that is that the way grace comes to find the dead is again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, personal. It's not this abstract force. It's not some essence. It's not some message out from the universe. It's personal. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. You are made alive in Christ, in someone who has a name and a face and identity that you can call on. It's in Christ that we are made alive when we were dead. It gets back again to the dignity of being made in the image of God, that God himself would come down to attend to you, that that's how much just by being human you mean to him. 
That the very basics of taking a breath in this life mean that, that the energy and the focus and the heart of God is towards you. Friends, this shows us you are not numbers on a page to God. You are not a simple list to God. You are not a collection of qualities or deficiencies. You are not just a gigantic disappointment or a gigantic success. You are. And God personally cares about you because, verse 10, we are His workmanship. We are that which He cares so deeply about and He is coming after us with grace. And the way he makes us personally alive again is, as the passage shows us, by entering into death to bring us back from it. The way Jesus Christ brings you from death to life, the very purpose for which he came, the purpose for which grace itself exists, is by going to the place of your death and entering into it himself to bring you out from there. Can you, it's, it's impossible in some sense for us to grasp the insanity of what that means, that God in a personal way would step down into death, the infinite into the finite, and then from the finite to the I don't exist right now moment to find you and bring you back. Christ would step into death, not around it, not near it, not touching it with a 10-foot pole. He would step into your death just because he loves you as the dead. This is what he does on the cross. He steps into your death so that through his own death, when we are united to him by faith, the death that once clung to you such that you couldn't shake it from yourself instead clings to him. And what it faces there is something that it never faced in you, which is an entirely different power that can tell death, stop. Now you work for me. A power that can tell death to die. to turn you into a life well beyond what our hearts could imagine, where we are seated in an entirely different realm, verse 6, in a life we can't possibly imagine, with a status you can't possibly measure, well beyond any list anyone could, else could otherwise make up, with the dignity and honor that exceeds all those things, with the one who loves you so much that he would step into the death that you find yourself in now to bring you out of that thing like the greatest possible hero in any movie that goes to rescue someone who is lost, stepping into your lostness to bring you out of that. This is how the grace of Jesus Christ finds us, by stepping into death to free us from it so that life would not be the result of a balance sheet and numbers on the page, but as a gift that you receive no matter how dead you are. This is the way that it must be if we really are made in the image of God. If what Scripture says about being made in the image of God, being His workmanship, is really true, it has to be this way because human life as God created it was meant to be, again, so much more than just a measurement of your qualities. Students, do you know that? 
Parents, do you know that? People in careers and jobs, do you know that? People retired from jobs, do you know that? That life as God made it is meant to be so much more than a measurement of your qualities. Because with God, real, vibrant life is not dependent on the condition it finds you in. It's not dependent on how good, strong, smart you are. It's just interested in you, no matter your condition. That's where Christianity steps outside. Every other religion, every other way of life, it is interested in you no matter your condition. Just you, qualities or no, God is interested. Because he finds your existence inherently worthwhile. That is grace. That's the good news we only get to by going through the bad news. You can't get from being numbers on a page to not being just a reduced, broken down shell of a creature anymore without doing business with that, without recognizing that, yes, that's who I was and that's not who I want to be, not because that's where I end up and God is ashamed of me and angry and disappointed, but because his heart is so fully for me that he can't bear the thought of his creation, of his children being something less than the dignity that he made them to have. The bad news is not there to keep you feeling bad. It's there because you were meant for something that is so much more deeply good. This is grace. This is what Christianity holds out. Life for the dead. And to bring that home to us a little bit more this week, I want to encourage us to do two things as we come to a close here. To read and to name. The first read, I want to encourage you, read, listen to, have someone else read to you, 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. As there Paul talks about grace that comes alive in the face of death and suffering. He talks about grace that shows up in those moments of death in his own life, that raised him out of those feelings of death, that that stepped in with him. And I want to encourage you to let that chapter or two just speak over the debts that you feel in your life right now, where you do feel struck down, but Paul says struck down but not destroyed. To sit in those things, to let that just be the louder voice that you hear this week instead of your own voice and all the things that you say to yourself. Maybe no one is harder on you than you. To let someone else have some oxygen and speak to you about you, about your life, about the death that you face. Let that be the influence And let it reshape your thoughts in an I have to do it, I have to be good enough world. Let it tell you something else. And secondly, related to that, I want to encourage you, do what Paul does here. Paul names all the ways that we are dead. Paul does not mince words. He is blunt. He is honest. I'm not saying that's permission to be blunt with someone in your life in an unkind and ungracious way, but be honest with yourself. Name the death that you're facing right now. You may not even be able to put it into words. It may just be a feeling, a sense, something that you don't like about a relationship, something you don't like about yourself, something you don't like that someone else has done to you, but try to put that down into words, even just one word. Name that thing 
and ask Jesus to step into that death with you. There are some things I'm carrying right now that feel like death. I'm sure they are for you. And as I thought about it this week, what I need is I need Jesus to come and step into that death with me. I need him to just step in there and be with me in it. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I don't know what it's going to feel like to get to the other side, but I just need him to show up, name that thing, and just ask him to be there with you. Ask him to step into that death and give you company in it because his grace is not afraid of your death. Ask Jesus to enter in and bring you out. Because no matter the name, no matter how big it is, grace came for death and to bring death to life. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little time for you to respond in your heart to some of the things that we just talked about, maybe thanking God that grace really is for the dead. It's for the death in my life, right now, in my past, that it came for that. Maybe confessing the ways that, that you want it to be a I'm a decent person kind of life. That you want, you can't help but feel like you have to be numbers on a page. Ask him to, to bring you out of that, to bring him out of what's dead, bring you out of what's dead in you and around you. Let's pray. I would pray that you would hear these prayers now and answer by your great grace. In your name we pray. Amen.